Hello and welcome to Economics of Learning. I'm your host, Dr. Don Killingbeck, and I'm joined today by a special guest, Jess Gartner. Jess, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on today, Don. Um, I am the CEO and founder of AlloView. We are an education finance technology company. And my background is in the classroom, actually. I studied political science and education undergrad at University of Pennsylvania. And after college, I moved down to Baltimore and I taught middle school language arts and social studies in Baltimore City. And I did my master's in teaching at Johns Hopkins School of Education. So I've spent my entire career and my whole adult life in education. And equity has been a really big theme in my entire career, both you know, starting with my undergraduate dissertation and all the way up through my work today. Um, so we are working with school districts around the country now at Alloview to help them with resource allocation, ensuring resource equity, and strategic planning of dollars in their budget process, and then management and fidelity of implementation of those spending plans throughout the year. So we sort of touch every step in the life cycle of a dollar for school districts all over the country, all shapes, sizes, geographies, urbanicities. Um, and so it's, it's really exciting to kind of see things a little bit behind the scenes that not everybody gets as much of a full view into, but is still a really critical part of the operation of every school district and every school in the country. So Jess, I just feel like there's a story behind this. So I hear like, hey, there's this classroom teacher and then all of a sudden CEO of this company about resource allocation. There has to be a passion that drove that uh, to go from point A to Z. What, what's the story behind this? So a funny part of this story that I actually only realized a year or two ago, I was going back through a lot of my old papers from college. I, I don't remember why, but I went back and was reading a bunch of my papers. And in almost every single paper, I brought up the issue of resource strategy or resource equity in schools. Uh, even if it wasn't the central theme of the paper, I somehow wove it into almost everything as some sort of footnote, or maybe we need to look more into that, or maybe this is part of the piece of the a piece of the puzzle. So I guess that this has been a seed that was planted in my brain a long, long time ago, but where it really became uh, a very active concern for me was when I started teaching, like many, many teachers, I walked into a pretty empty classroom and I had to buy a lot of the supplies that I needed for my classroom out of my own pocket. I had to buy a lot of my own paper, some of the books that we were using, technology. I was doing fundraisers for projectors and light bulbs for those projectors. And I sat back and I thought about that a lot in terms of the impact that has on teacher satisfaction, teacher retention, uh, instructional resources that students have access to. But the thing that really made me obsessed about this problem was not just the adequacy and availability of resources, but the fact that you could walk into 
10 different schools in a district and see 10 very different resource profiles in terms of what was available for teachers to use, uh, what was available for students to take advantage of, and what was on the responsibility of teachers and parents to provide for students. And so you wind up with very, very different profiles of resources from one school to another. And I thought a lot about the impact of that on everything from teacher satisfaction and retention to student outcomes. And I was doing my academic work and research, and I started teaching a, a few years into the No Child Left Behind height. So there was a lot of talk about teacher quality and student outcomes and student achievement, but there was very, very little talk about resources or the inputs in a system. And while I was not a math major, I do love math. I am sort of a nerd for math. So if you think back to your high school algebra class, when you are trying to solve for X, you've got to balance both sides of the equation, right? The, the goal is to balance the, the equation. And I felt like we were almost exclusively talking about one side of the equation. We were almost exclusively talking about outcomes. But there was very little conversation from a practical operational standpoint about the other side of that equation, about the resource profile, about the allocation strategy, about the equity of those resources. And so as I, as I was thinking about these challenges with the opportunity gap or the achievement gap, I was thinking, what if we have similar gaps on the resource side and we don't even know it because we're not looking closely enough at that data? And I found that when I tried to go look for myself, to see uh, if, if I could figure out that equation, I found that that data was either not at all available or almost impossible to get. And so I just started thinking, how, how do we move this conversation forward? You know, what if, you know, if, if, if needs are X and outcomes are Y, and we want, you know, we want this equation to work, if you have three X, what does that mean in terms of what you need to provide for resources to produce equivalent outcomes? Do you need to provide three times as many resources? Um, you know, these are the questions that I was sort of sitting up late at night thinking about and really wanting to spend more time on. But I just kept coming back to this barrier of either the information is not there or it's not in a format that is accessible um, or it, it's just it's not available in the format that would make decision-making easier and more productive for district administrators. So I decided I was going to go try to fix that problem in service of some of these bigger questions that I, I really wanted myself and my, my colleagues and peers to be able to ask and answer. And so I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of education finance and it's now almost 10 years later and, um, and we're still chipping away at, at these problems of workflow and process to ensure that we have really clean and actionable finance and operations data. 
So it's really a story of see a need, fill a need. Yeah. Is what I'm hearing from you. You, you see this big need that districts have uh, for resource equity, resource profiles to be reviewed, some strategies. And then you go out, you develop a, a software, a company uh, to help districts. Tell us a little bit more about how that works. What, what do you do with the, you know, what kind of resources do you give a district to help them with resource allocation? Sure. So right now we have solutions that specifically tackle three different phases of resource allocation and strategy. Uh, the first part of that phase is the allocation itself. And that really has to do with developing your local definition of equity and designing your funding formula. So making choices about how the combination of state, federal, and local dollars will flow to individual schools or students based on the needs of the population of students at each school. So for example, if you have a school with a very high special ed um, population, they most likely need some um, some very unique resources to help meet the needs of those IEPs and provide the required services. That might look very different at another school, but they might have needs for English language learners or students who qualify for free and reduced price lunch who may need a different type of wraparound service. So it's all about looking at the, the demographics and the population of students at each school and figuring out how we allocate those dollars so that each school has the resources that they need to meet the needs of those students. So that's the first piece. And then once we've done those allocations, hopefully you wind up with a number uh, that roughly approximates the budget for each school or department. And then what do you do with those dollars? You need a plan for those dollars. And when a lot of people think about a school district budget, they think about those top line numbers, right? We're talking about a billion dollar budget or a hundred million dollar budget or a $10 million budget. When we use the word budget, we are referring to a specific plan for those dollars. So in terms of people, things, processes, strategies, what resources do you need to put your school's plan to work in order to accomplish the goals that you've set for your students at the school and at the district level? And too often those processes are entirely separate. We see a lot of districts where they have a school improvement plan on a Word document or a PDF and then there's a budget on an Excel file or in some backend system that sort of disappears into the technology abyss. But those things often do not live in the same place. And so our definition of a budget really looks at a specific plan with a set of goals, priorities, and strategies and the resources that you need to put that plan into action. And then the third piece uh, is a solution that we call manage. And that is all about monitoring your progress on implementing that plan with fidelity. So for example, if you've put four reading specialists in your budget, but it's December 
and you've only hired one, you probably need to stop and reevaluate whether one, are you really going to be able to hire those other three reading specialists at this point in the year, or do they just not exist? And two, if even if you could hire them at this point in the year, would that be the best use of those resources at the midway point in the year? And so maybe things have not gone exactly according to plan, and you may need to reevaluate and reappropriate some of those resources so that the students are getting the best value from those resources at this point in the year. And so, you know, there's sort of, there's two ways this can go. One way is things are going according to plan and you just want to make sure that you're spending at the right pace. You're spending on things that you had designated as part of your plan um, with appropriate timing. And then the other piece of this is if things have gone off plan for possibly reasons out of your control, like there just aren't enough counselors, there aren't enough people for us to hire as uh, reading specialists or math specialists, what can you do to make the most strategic use of those resources at this point in the year? And, and how do you make that decision to reallocate resources mid-year as strategically and intentionally as possible so that they're benefiting students? So those are kind of the big three pieces that we work with districts on, the initial allocation and formula piece for equity, the strategic budget plan, and then the implementation and reevaluation of that plan in real time throughout the year. So I imagine, you know, there's a lot of aha moments when you're working with districts. I mean, for, for example, I know uh, when I started working with the current budget that I'm working with, I, I quickly discovered, you know, a huge inequity in cost, you know, from one building to the next in servicing students. And when I brought that forward, people were like, "What we've been doing what? So what's some of the biggest, like, inequities or, or miss, uh, I don't want to say misallocation, but just where in one district, the allocation for resources to one building to the next are just vastly different. How do leaders and those working with you explain that away? Because I'm sure it's kind of a shocking, uh, you know, moment for them. So the ESSA regulations around reporting school level expenditures, I think have also pushed districts to look at this problem or potential problem in their district with, with new eyes. And one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest pieces that can drive inequity is teacher salaries. So most districts budget with average salaries, but then we obviously have to pay teachers their actual salaries. The problem with that is that some of the most veteran high performing teachers tend to cluster in schools with some of the most affluent local student populations. And then you have schools um, where they have uh, perhaps a more low income or more high need population and they tend to get um, a cluster or a concentration of first and second year teachers. Now, on its face, that is not necessarily problematic. Those, those early career teachers could be wonderful. And, you know, we know that there's no perfect correlation between 
tenure and effectiveness. But from a dollar standpoint, if you've got 20 teachers who cost $80,000 and 20 teachers who cost $40,000, that means that one school is getting almost twice the amount of FTE dollars as the other school. And that is a challenge that there is no clear and obvious solution to, because you also don't want to create a scenario where principals refuse to hire veteran teachers because they're more expensive. So this is a big challenge that I actually think is going to be the crux of the conversation about resource equity probably for the next decade, because there is not an easy answer to this to this challenge. Um, and some, some districts have tried to mitigate this by offering stipends to teachers who want to go work in uh, low performing or high need schools. So there's, there's some equalizing of resources on that front, but this is a really big challenge and it's, it's sort of an insidious challenge because the budgets and the allocations might look really equitable on paper. But then when you look at the actual expenditures, when you plug in actual teacher salaries, you can have per pupil spending variables to the tune of 2x or 3x from one school to another. So you do have to think about if a parent comes to you and says, my, my kid's school is getting $7,000 per pupil and the school down the street is getting $15,000 per pupil, what gives? Do you have an explanation for that? And, and can you defend the explanation that you have for that? And is that in line with what the district is trying to accomplish? And so transparency is certainly part of this, um, but there are some really difficult mechanics of this behind the scenes that are gonna present some real challenges and some tough decisions in terms of how we think about resource equity, not just from a dollar standpoint, but also in terms of things like access to high quality teachers or access to highly experienced and tenured teachers, um, access to technology, access to athletic programs, access to modern facilities with um, you know, proper climate control. If we have, if we have certain neighborhoods of, of kids clustered in buildings where there's no heat in the winter and no air conditioning in the summer, how does that, how does that affect the learning environment? How does that affect teachers desire to want to go work in that building? So it's, it's a big holistic discussion and it can be a little bit of a rabbit hole but I really encourage districts to start having these conversations, at least internally, because the, the, the federal and state policies are definitely moving in the direction of making these pieces of information and this data more transparent. And I always say you want to have these discussions with your staff and your board before they appear on the front page of the local paper. You do not want to wait for that data to be public before you're having a conversation about some of those some of those drivers of equity or inequity. So, Jess, one of the things that I, in hearing you, and I think about all of you and, and your background and your history, and talk about just the dichotomy of from when you started uh, down this, uh, doing this work, 
to now. Our resources were very tight 10 years ago. Education was not necessarily a priority. Funding was very uh, strained. And you went into this, and I imagine, you know, part of the, the whole idea behind it is, hey, we need to go in and help schools. You know, the budgets are tight. What do we do? How do we make it work? And then you fast forward 10 years, and although there's a whole nother line of inequity that's occurred with ESSER funds, but there are certain schools that were strapped for cash 10 years ago that now... I don't want to say we ever in education will struggle to spend money, but they have money that they are having a hard time uh, budgeting and planning for in just the opposite extreme. So how does that work? You know, I mean, and you've managed, I mean, I've seen some of your literature, I've seen your presentation. You've managed to bridge that conversation from scarcity to surplus. Um, But how, how is that different for uh, educational leaders today? Oh, there's so many dynamics to this. Uh, I mean, for one, many of the districts who received an outsized portion of ESSER dollars have had accumulated deficits of resources for decades. I mean, my home, my hometown, Baltimore City, has something like a $300 million maintenance backlog, according to most, uh, and, and according to like cost studies. So in the context of that, if they're getting $600 million, you could say that half of that is, is filling a gap that was there before the pandemic even happened. Right. And of course, when you have accumulated deficits on things like buildings and facilities, those things end up costing more money in the long run the more that you let those deficits accumulate, right? Because you actually end up spending a lot more money trying to compensate for lead water pipes, leaky roofs, um, aging HVAC systems and boilers. The cost of fixing those systems in the long run is actually far more expensive than if you built a new building and maintained it as a modern facility. But the problem is that we are we are often penny wise pound foolish on these things, right? Because we think like, well, in the short term, the HVAC filter is cheaper and we don't want to go spend a hundred million dollars on a capital project. But on a 10 year time span, you might have ended up spending 150 or 200 million trying to maintain these failing facilities. So some of this is that we really need to take not a one-year or a two-year view, but what is the 10 or 20-year view? Um, You know, by the same token, if you have a community that has um, near universal or universal pre-K access, the, the challenge of getting a a kindergartner up to an appropriate level of proficiency is very different whether a child comes in with that preschool experience or not. So there's factors like that. Um, As far as as being able to spend the, the ESSER dollars, we know that this is a time where we are looking at wraparound services in terms of counselors, uh, school social workers, psychologists, librarians, school nurses, um, all of these support staff that really provide holistic services to schools, those positions have not existed for decades. So 
what happens in a labor market where there are no jobs? People stop going to school for those jobs. They stop getting certified for those jobs. Those people do not exist because those positions have not existed for decades. If we want a scenario where we have a robust supply of certified counselors and psychologists and social workers and nurses, we need to build those into budgets permanently and go way upstream in terms of recruiting college students and grad students into those programs and certifications so that we have the supply of those professionals for the next decade. But nobody's going to go get that certification if those, if those jobs and dollars are going to be gone in two years. So I think, you know, again, we really have to think about what are we optimizing for on a 10 year time horizon, because those people are not just going to magically appear because we need them right now. So Jess, you know, you've been working at this for a long time. I mean, I mean, 10 years is a long time. And you gathered a wealth of knowledge about resource allocation, student achievement, you know, how to spend dollars. If you could give some advice uh, to school leaders that are listening to this, what would be that advice right now? Sure. I think one big component of this and something that's been a big focus of our of our solution strategy is many hands make light work. Um, this is such an important part of a district's operations, culture, um, outcomes. You know, the dollars and the resource strategy really touch everything. And creating systems and policies that are collaborative around those decisions and involve people at multiple levels of the system tend to produce the best results. Now, that being said, it can't be a total free for all. There have to be some real uh, safeguards in place to make sure that people are not only compliant, but also aligned to some central strategies and goals. So a big part of our approach has been how do we how do we have controlled collaboration so that you're able to set some broad parameters around district priorities or compliance components, but you're also bringing people in at the school level or the department level um, or a you know something like a, an HR or a grants lens where a certain set of expertise is really valuable and you have people really collaboratively building these plans and contributing the pieces of information that they are best equipped to contribute to the process. Um, that being said, that does not happen overnight. And so I would say that any changes to allocation or budget and finance really needs to include some thought to change management strategy and thinking about what this looks like in terms of how you are changing the processes around these things, how you're changing the culture of discussions, of decision making, and being really thoughtful about integrating and multi-threading this information and people across um, you know, different departments and different levels of the systems in really strategic ways. That doesn't happen overnight. So I would think about this on a two to three year plan. What are you gonna start with? How are you going to layer on? We have people do this horizontally and we have people do this vertically. So I have some districts where they say, we want to focus on this one process top to bottom first and then move on to the next piece. We have other districts that take more of a horizontal strategy where they say, 
we want to do all three of these strategies, but maybe only at one level of the organization. And then over the next three years, we're going to layer on department heads, principals, community, et cetera. There's really no wrong answer. You just have to have a strategy one way or the other. And then the last piece of advice I would give is to err on the side of giving people information. In many cases, I have seen districts get ripped apart by the press around financial mismanagement or opaque approach to financial transparency. And in reality, they're doing nothing wrong. There's nothing malicious or nefarious happening behind the scenes. It's just complex. And so in with a fear of giving people too much complexity, they sort of hold back all the information and that almost always breeds mistrust. So I would say to trust your communities with the complexity, spend some time explaining things, thinking about how you're presenting information, crafting the narrative around the information and providing the relevant context, but trust your staff and your communities to handle that complexity. It's a much easier problem to solve than hiding everything behind a, a walled garden and just saying like, trust us, you know, it, it's good because that uh, trust is just very hard to build without sharing the information. So what I kind of heard there are uh, three things. I'm going to pull back to, you know, something you said earlier, but culture, mm -hmm. communication, and then this isn't calculus. This is algebra, <laughs> you know, trying to stick in those three C, you know, like, uh, you know, culture, communication, and then uh, when it comes to math, it's not calculus, it's algebra. I always go back to that being the driving force uh, uh, with culture among your team is that if-then algebra formula that you're giving your, whether it be leaders, departments, hey, do you want X or do you want Y? What are, what are you looking for and empowering them to make decisions within parameters really with the focus on student achievement. How is this going to benefit student achievement? Is that, is that sum it up? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, you could add the collaboration to, to those C's too. I think taking a collaborative approach and really making sure that each person's respective expertise and lens on the situation is included in these processes and and decision making is so critical to to making this all work well that actually is so it's collaboration communication and it builds that culture i like those the three c's of of resource allocation of school budgets um that's but we don't want to have c's we want to have a's right yes. <laughs> so um you know, our listening audience, you know, is hearing this stuff and many of them are going to want to get a hold of you and want to learn more. How would they go about doing that? Best way to do it is to go to our website, aloeview.com, and you can drop us a note in our chat, uh, our chat box, um, or submit something to the contact us page and let, let us know that you heard the podcast and want to talk to me or someone from our team and, and we'll follow up. So allaview.com chat box, and then uh, it starts there. It starts with that little conversation uh, to help revolutionize an organization through the use of uh, proper resource allocation. Well, do you have any parting words? 
The, the last piece that I would leave you with is that in, in all of my experience with this work, I am left with the core belief that equity must be active. Whether that means from your curriculum, from your resources, from your teaching staff, access to um, high quality teachers and, and high quality curriculum, access to the right instructional resources, access to modern facilities, all of these choices and components really must be active and intentional. You will not get resource equity by accident. Well, thank you so much. And uh, stay tuned for our next episode of Economics of Learning. Thanks, Don.